Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Creating a Legacy for Your Life and Career. Our conversation today will focus on how to best uncover your career and life purpose and a vision that will guide you throughout your whole career journey. We'll explore topics like legacy and how to leave an ongoing impact all along the way. Our guest today is Dr. Jan Fried. Jan is a leadership development consultant, speaker, and a professor of business management. She is the author or co-author of five books focused on helping employees find meaning and purpose within and beyond their careers. She does this through the use of a concept she developed, the breadcrumb legacy, in which people create new meaning for themselves and others through small daily actions. She blogs weekly about leading, living, and conscious aging. Welcome, Jan, and thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you, Mary. I'm honored to be here. Why don't we jump right in? Tell us about this concept you created. It's called The Breadcrumb Legacy. What's it all about? I had a leadership book come out in 2013 where I interviewed more than 100 of the top thought leaders in the field of leadership. The title is actually Leading with Wisdom, Sage Advice from 100 Experts. And some of the themes that emerged, each theme became a chapter in the book. But one theme was about death and dying and grief and grieving. And another theme was about legacy. And both of those were kind of ahas to me because my driving question for my research was, given these uncertain times, how can I best prepare people to be the kinds of leaders that are needed? And let me tell you, the book was published in 2013, and the times have only become more uncertain. That's for sure. But these themes, when I would hear them, I'm like, well, what do you, death and dying and grief and grieving, what does that have to do with the workplace? What does that have to do with leadership? And think about the pandemic and COVID-19 now. But again, they were saying, well, industries are dying and companies are dying and people are losing positions. And yes, people are dying. And we see that, unfortunately, more with COVID-19. But even in 2013, and when I was doing my research, change is happening so fast, it's accelerating. And kind of the way we knew the world and work is not the same. And like I said, COVID has only magnified all of these themes. I really drilled down into those topics. And then legacy was another theme that emerged. And the whole idea is leaders want to make a difference and people want to make a difference. In fact, one of my conclusions in my book is it's hard to be a good leader if you're not a good person. So then I would say, well, what do you mean by that? And how do you be a good person? But then after that book came out, what's interesting is I got asked to speak or do workshops most on legacy, on that whole idea of what difference are we making? And I like to use the quote by Jane Goodall, the anthropologist, where she says, we're all making a difference. What difference do you want to make? 
And so it's very common to think of it at the end of a lifetime, at the end of a career, at the end of a position. But really, we are leaving our legacy all along the way. And so I kind of adopted this from the fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, where they're leaving breadcrumbs along the way so they can see the path. And really, that's what I think we're doing. We're dropping them all the time. I'm leaving some of my breadcrumbs here with your audience today. And so it's really small things that really matter. And I believe that when people are intentional about thinking about legacy, it's really forward thinking. I think it changes how we behave, what we say, how we say it. I think it's really, again, a good way to guide our life through the journey. I love that. Jan, do you see any generational differences? Because you mentioned some in workshops would say, gosh, I haven't thought about this. And do you find that talent coming into the workforce or in early stages of the workforce, this concept of making a difference or legacy is more natural? Or I don't want to overstate it, but do you see anything in that regard? Let me give you an example. Last year, one of my clients, they wanted to do workshops. And some of my workshops have been targeted for people age 50 plus approaching retirement, trying to think about what's next. But this client said, no, I want to do these workshops for cohorts. So 25 to 35, 35 to 50, and then 50 plus. And we limited it to 30 in each cohort. It was voluntary. They filled up. They each had a slightly different title, but I integrated legacy work into each of them. The workshop for 25 to 35, I'm talking more about career planning but yet I'm weaving in legacy work. So they each had a different title appropriate for their age group, but legacy was integrated in all of them. And the younger people, honestly, the feedback was, this is something I would never have thought of. It would never have entered my mind. Now, one of the things that I always say is, we don't know how long we're going to live. So we don't know when the end is. And that's another reason to be very conscious of what we are doing on a daily basis. Exactly. So that's interesting, how we want to fully impact and leave those breadcrumbs along the way could use more attention. Is that fair? I agree. Now, I've done some writing on this, but what's interesting is athletes have to think about retirement much earlier than most people. I'm kind of a Roger Federer fan, so I kind of follow his career. And every year they're like, is this his last year? When's he going to retire? That kind of thing. Now, the same thing happens with Warren Buffett. On the other end, he's going to be 90 and people have been worried for years what happens to the world when Warren Buffett leaves us. But athletes, it doesn't matter what the sport is. They have to think of it earlier. In fact, gymnasts, if you think about the Olympics, they might retire at 20 or 18. So again, they have to think about it. What are they going to do with their life? Or what is their legacy meant to that sport, to that field, much earlier than most people? And so I think it's fascinating, the whole idea. Their career comes to an end much faster than most people. So again, we never know when the end is, but I do think that most people in the business world don't think about it until it's even late. We often think of this legacy as big, that we need to be leaving our name on a building. So it's for the rich and famous, and I'm not rich and I'm not famous. That's not true. We all are leaving a legacy. It's really about relationships and what are people going to remember about you when you're gone? I often like to say in workshops, 
I'll say, well, when do people leave their legacy? And people will say, well, when they leave. And I say, well, when they leave what? Well, when they leave a job, they leave a career, they leave the world. And I'll say, what about when you leave this meeting or I leave this meeting or you leave that interaction? So it's whenever we are leaving anything, we are leaving some breadcrumbs. And it's not always positive. It could be negative. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But if we're aware of it, then we might say to ourselves, that was not a really positive interaction. I need to make amends or I need to have a follow-up conversation. So I think it's that awareness that we are dropping breadcrumbs along the way and being very conscious of that. I love that. Somebody had once said to me, there's no such thing as a neutral interaction. It's either positive or negative. (laughs) And when you think of it that way, you're right. It kind of forces you to really think about the impact. Why do you think, Jan, then what is it about business careers that legacy or the thought of that or thought of the impact along the way is more of an afterthought? I'm not exactly sure. I've been asked in workshops, well, don't you think it's selfish to always be thinking about yourself? And I said, it's not really about yourself. It's about what difference are you making? People are going to have a perception. They're going to have an image. They're going to have a memory when you leave, leave that room, leave that meeting. I don't think it's selfish to want that to be a positive memory. I think, as I said, with the pandemic, this line between life and death has become very fine and people are becoming very aware of it. So people are revising their wills, they're making their wills, they're making sure they have a will, they're having medical directives created. People are thinking about life and death. And so I think this is a very timely topic. It totally is. And it may be that in some cases, I've seen where the word legacy has some history and it had a negative connotation at one point. And it isn't really about the word, though. It's your point is that it's about the impact and the difference that you want to make. Absolutely. Impact, memory. What do you want people to remember about you? And I don't think that matters regardless of age. It doesn't matter because we don't know when the end is. And do you think then the legacy and the impact has also shifted over the years to be a consideration beyond just work. It's in your whole life. It could be that work is here and the rest of your life is over here, but the impact, you can have it in both places and it's a broad consideration. Excellent question, because I do think it's a holistic view. One of the exercises that I use in my workshops and in my leadership courses, I have people write their eulogy. Now, again, since I started doing this and I got the idea, actually, when I was working on my book that came out in 2013, but I started when I got the idea from the research, I started doing this exercise about in 2008. Since that time, in those 12 years, obituaries are sounding more like eulogies. Now, I don't know exactly why. I can't explain the reason for that, but it used to be that the standard obituary was very factual. What did the person do? So the focus was on their doing. They worked here. They volunteered here. They were part of these organizations, members of these clubs or organizations. It was focused on the doing, while the eulogy is focused on the being, really the character of the person. But I have people write this exercise and their eulogy because the point is, if that's how you want to be remembered, 
then you need to start living your life like that now. What do you need to do in your life? And with undergraduate college students who are age 20 to 22, it's a very moving exercise for any age. But 20 to 22 year olds, I really do think it impacts their life because they really start thinking, well, I'm behaving this way, but I want to be remembered this way. There's not an alignment. And so we kind of talk about that. This is how you want to be remembered. Then what do you need to do with your life? And how do you want to spend your time? And who should you be hanging around with? And what kind of person do you want to become? To me, it almost sounds a bit also like you're backward planning what you want. And we're not just going forward, hoping it all works out. You're really consciously thinking about outcomes and what you want. What else might someone do to go about leaving a breadcrumb legacy? What do they need to think about, do, not do? I'm working on a book about this topic now. So the chapters are really kind of key elements. One chapter has to do with ego, because I think the ego causes us a lot of problems. I think it's the ego that often prevents us from being the kind of person we want to be. So one chapter has to do with ego, ego development. Another concept is about relationships, because at the end of life, and research says this, at the end of life, what most people say is they want to make sure their relationships are in order. So one whole chapter is on the importance of cultivating relationships, nurturing those, maintaining those. Because in our busy lives, sometimes it's our friendships that just fall to the side. We're busy raising children. We're busy with our careers. We're working. I'm just using John Lewis as an example because it's a very current one that was nationally televised. But what are people talking about? They talked about his work. They talked about his passion, his commitment. But integrated in everybody's comments were about his relationships, how he treated people in the office, how he worked with his staff his family members, how he loved to mentor, those kinds of things. To me, that just brought to life my Angelo, where he really is the how you made people feel, because I really see that as well time and time again, especially when people bring up things. If you really pay attention, they're not always talking about the accomplishments. They are really talking about how you made them feel. That's very true. And another point in my book is, if you're leaving the kind of breadcrumb legacy that you want to leave, you're probably living your life as a good person. So another point in my book is, how do you become a good person? And so it's kind of overcoming the dark side, overcoming the ego, the shadow, those demons that we have to face. We all have a dark side, we all have a shadow, and it's knowing when that's emerging and how can you control that. It's all integrated into this book and into the concept of breadcrumb legacy. It sounds like also there was a quote from your book, Leading with Wisdom, the most important person to lead is yourself. Absolutely. I believe that. That some people, while I do workshops, well, I don't have anyone reporting to me or I don't really have any direct reports. I'm not a leader. I said, you are a leader because the most important person is to lead yourself. What kind of life are you leading? And I also like to ask a question, would you follow yourself? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I had a boss as well who used to say that he chose sometimes, or maybe all the time, I don't know, his direct reports if he would work for them, which I thought was really powerful. And that's a very interesting statement because you can be very different in your experiences or backgrounds and in quite a compliment to be on a person like that's team. 
Let me share a story that comes to mind. I was doing a workshop with fairly mid to high level leaders. We were talking about getting to know yourself and how can you do that? And actually through my research, one of the suggestions came up that leaders should go on a retreat. And when I would probe, I'd say, well, what do you mean a retreat? Well, leaders need to go to a monastery. They need to have a silent retreat. They need to have time to reflect and get to know themselves. So I was sharing that story because since I learned that, I I call my Leading with Wisdom book my Eat, Pray, Love book of leadership (laughs) because when I would learn something, I would go do it. And so I was kind of a takeoff on Elizabeth Gilbert's book, but I would learn something and then I'd say, okay, I'm going to go try to put that into practice in my life. So since about 2007, I've been going to a monastery and I was explaining that practice to these leaders. And one leader actually said, I would never do that. And I said, really, why? I would not want to be alone with myself. (laughs) And I thought, "Mm, that's very telling. Yes, it is. Jan, one thing I really struck me from earlier when you said Sometimes people think legacy then is this really big thing. And so it's kind of hard and it's unattainable. But the breadcrumb concept allows you to have smaller impact along the way that becomes such a big legacy over time. But it also strikes me as reinforcing that you don't have to be perfect because there isn't a single leader or a single human being who is, including all the people we think of who have massive legacies. And it isn't a straight line. The breadcrumbs, I'm sure when you're leaving them, there are gaps and sometimes where there's a nice big pile of them, but people make mistakes or to your point about relationships, I could screw something up or your point was, I think, correct them when you can and keep doing better as you go. I would agree with that. And I do believe in the power of forgiveness. When I'm doing workshops, I often talk about if you as a leader make mistakes, who knows? And usually everybody knows. (laughs) So you might as well admit it. Admit the mistake. I think admitting mistakes gives you power. And this is consistent with, in fact, I kind of laugh because my book was published, as I said, in 2013, but I had a chapter title and it was vulnerability is a strength. And my editor said, a lot of leaders are still men. You want to include men. This isn't a book just for women. It's for leaders of men and women. I don't think you should go with that chapter title. Let's change it. So we changed it to leaders admit mistakes fearlessly. That's the name of the chapter. But I wanted to go with vulnerability as a strength. Well, right after my book came out, that's when Brene Brown started her whole vulnerability, shame, vulnerability. So it's kind of interesting because I coined that vulnerability as a strength even before her book came out. And of course, we know she's going gangbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Who might be doing this more naturally? By this, I mean, is anyone leaving a breadcrumb legacy more naturally or easily? Or what aspects of it, again, are people finding more difficult? I think people who are self-aware, if you're very self-aware, which would go with EQ, emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, I think if people are very self-aware and very in tune to relationships, so they know when they've made a mistake, they know when they said something out of line, and then they quickly make amends. I think that gives people a lot of power. And I like to be around those people. I like to work with them. I like to work for them. Instead of someone who acts like they don't make mistakes when you know they do, 
they've offended you. I don't know where I picked this up, Mary, but I think it was at some conference where one of the speakers said, pretend that everybody's wearing a sign around their neck that says, make me feel important. Ooh, nice. If you look at that and everybody you're looking at says, make me feel important in some way, shape or form. I worked for a dean. We used to laugh. We, meaning faculty members, we used to laugh because we thought he saw everybody with a sign that said, make me feel unimportant, because that's exactly what he did. None of us liked working for him or with him or anything. I think that's a good make me feel important sign. I also read that, (laughs) I don't know if it was your first book, but you were writing a book. You had met Jim Collins at a conference and very confidently asked him for some advice on how to do research for your book, which I think is terrific because I think in life there is a go for it, ask for what you want and it comes to you kind of thing. In that regard, either you could share on that or what else might be a piece of career advice, something that's served you well throughout your career that you might share with us? I'll just kind of finish that Jim Collins story and then I'll go to the next question. But his book, Good to Great, had just come out. And he was in Des Moines and tickets were $100 a person and which for somebody on a faculty salary, you think, oh, really? But I wanted to meet him. I wanted to hear him. I wanted to meet him in person. And so I took the day off and I was the last person in line. So I get up there and I said, I'm working on a book. I've got a sabbatical. Could I come study with you? Could I come be an apprentice? Could I shadow you? Could I do that? And he gave me the strangest look. He said, well, I've never been asked that before. And I said, well, I really would love to learn from you. And he hesitated. And then I pulled out in my Franklin planner, because in those days, this was probably about 2004, I carried a leather Franklin planner. And in this planner, I still have it. And I still don't carry it necessarily now, but I still have the planner. And in this planner, I still have the article. It's a one-page article that he wrote for Training Magazine in 1999. And the title is The Learning Person. And I love that article. And I've quoted it and I've cited it. And so I hold it up because you can see his picture. And I say, I've been carrying this around every day since 1999. He says, okay, we'll talk. And so we did. He let me talk to him free for an hour. And he kind of coached me on how I might set up my research project. And I did. I followed his advice. So that's a great story. I would say that what I've learned in, in my career, and I've said it all along, is really it's persistence. I've published five books. I've always been able to find a publisher. The game's a little different now since 2013, but it took me a long time, but I persisted. I say I'm really good at rejection. You just have to be persistent. And I think in this world where we are connected and it is easier to make contacts, you can't take it personally. If somebody doesn't respond, it's not you. I'm interviewing people now for the book I'm working on and I've gotten rejections. And then there's some I haven't heard from yet. And it's not me. It's a really tough time to be asking leaders for anything, but it's nice that they respond. And I had good luck with my leadership summit. So that was good. So I think whatever people want to do, you just have to be persistent. I agree. Well, look, thank you, because this has been really inspirational and insightful. I think you've just laid it out for us that this is so important that we proactively think about and shape what difference we each want to make in our entire lives, and then just continue to live it along the way. So thank you so much, Jan. Well, thank you. And I'm really grateful, Mary. 
For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Thank you.